0: Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. It is my plan to finish this chapter tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, you know our need, you know my need. Dear Lord, having seen from your word the results of you removing your hand and your presence. God, we want your presence and your spirit to speak. Heavenly Father, anybody uh, that stands here, Alan, Austin, Ben, me, and Paul, any of us that stand here, we're just men, Heavenly Father but your word is quick and powerful. God, I pray that your word will speak and your word will do its work. Heavenly Father, you know my heart. I don't seek any honor. I do seek your honor. Dear Lord, speak to us. I pray that this will be important and significant to us to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, last time we had entered into the uh, account that Paul was giving in Galatians of his confrontation of Peter while in Antioch. Through all these two chapters, Paul, Paul's intent has been to establish his authority as an apostle, to prove he isn't a genuine apostle, that he had the hand of God on him, that he was saved. He, he taught the correct gospel through this whole thing. It's a perfect segue. He, it led perfectly into the doctrinal part and the uh, gospel part that we're in now. Now, he had to confront Peter because Peter, earlier in Antioch, had left the fellowship of the Gentiles, and turn back to fellowship and only with the Jewish people. Paul had been saying, God saves everybody. The gospel has now come to the Gentiles. The the miracle that, that has has been revealed. This this is the mystery. The, the Gentiles. Everybody can be saved, and they're all saved the same way by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus. He was confronting Peter. And I will go back up to verse 14, just to uh, splice this in, and begin reading there. And I'll read through the whole end of the chapter. He's describing his uh, interaction with with Peter. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to feast Cephas before them all, "If you, though a Jew, he knew he was a Jew." Live like a Gentile. He had left the Jewish way. He had been fellowshiping with, the, fellowshiping with the Gentiles and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He said, and you're making it, by leaving this fellowship, you're making it look like you're going back to Judaism. Peter, Peter had not said anything, as far as we know. He was, he, only his actions spoke out. He continues in verse 15. He's still talking to Peter, and he's including uh, the Jews there. Barnabas, we know, was with him. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For the first time, the words justified law are introduced here. This begins the doctrinal part of the uh, epistle. Uh, He's going to be telling, he's going to lean heavily on the word justified. Just like in the first part of these chapters, he's been referring to uh, the old law ways and the old system as circumcision. That's, That's the one term to to refer to a broad a broad category of belief now he turns to justified it refers to the christian faith so what is the importance <coughs> of being justified we have to understand what justified means even the need of justification i think the a lot of the men who've been meeting on sunday i mean uh, saturday morning It's been the topic of a lot of discussion in our book, a lot of uh, messages that we've been reading being justified. And you know I'm not good at flowery speech, and it's going to be short and succinct. The fact is, this is humanity's age-old dilemma since the garden that we've been hearing about on Sunday nights. and Sunday morning. Austin also told us on Sunday night. The problem has been ever since man's fall, ever since Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation, they fell. As our federal head, because he was human, the first human, and we're all humans after that, we all fell with him. It changed to where They didn't have fellowship with God anymore. They fell. Their fellowship was broken because of that sin, because of that disobedience. Now every child that's born, like Alex mentioned in his last sermon, every child that's born, every child that comes out of the womb is born a sinner. They're precious. They're sweet. They look innocent. We love to squeeze them and, and hold them. They are sinners. They can't help it. Just like we. We're born a sinner. We didn't get a choice in it. They, we were born sinners. If we could choose, we would choose it though. So, we're doused. We're immersed. We've we got sin coming out of us. We live in sin. We gather sin to us. We love sin as humans, as fallen humans. We're nothing but sin. I mean, it's, it's horrible. <coughs> in His holiness... God cannot look on or accept anything sinful, even in the smallest degree. And because we are nothing but sinful, we can't do good, we can't be good, we cannot even want to be good. That is our fallen state. We are all bad, all day, completely. We are helpless, to change our nature because of this. In Jeremiah 13, 23, we see the rhetorical question, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? It's, the answer is no. That goes on to say, then also you can do good who are accustomed to evil. We can't. Apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God's working, man cannot. In First Samuel 24, thir- 13, the last part, we read, Out of the wicked comes wickedness. Yeah. That is fallen man. Yeah. In Romans 8, chapter 7, verse, I mean, Romans, yeah, Romans 8, verse 7, we read, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. Not only passively sin, not only bat, uh, accidentally sin, we're primarily sinful. We sin in a hostile way to God. The flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So man is sinful. Man is fallen. God is perfect and holy. By his nature, he can't have any fellowship with sin. By our sinful nature, we cannot get to God at all, ever, no way. There's a great gulf fixed and no man can cross it. But if God is so loving and wonderful and kind, then would he not just lay aside his holiness to help man? No. Because he is also completely righteous and just. Just like man is all bad, God is all good. And a Bible term for this is righteous. God is all righteous. Righteous and justified carry the same meaning. They come from the same root word. And God is nothing but righteous. Man is nothing but bad. God is nothing but good. There is no way for that to be reconciled. It's like trying to push two magnets together. One will push the other one away. It won't work. As a Pharisee, Paul, speaking to Peter... You know how Paul always, he, he, he spewed scripture. You don't want to get into a Bible fight with Paul. He would have known, Habakkuk one thirteen that describes God in saying, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. See, Paul didn't have the New Testament like we did. He had the Old Testament. So he would have also known Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. Paul had learned these things. He would also have read Psalm 97 too. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. This is how God is described. And we just read how man is described, vile and awful. This division is the reason that justification even came up at Antioch that day as Paul spoke to Peter. The young Gentile Christians at Antioch had believed the gospel. They were justified in God's sight. But Peter's apparent snubbing of the Gentile table was causing doubt about whether or not they had believed rightly. Paul was incensed. He was enraged. He, this, this, these were his spiritual children. How can you do this, Peter? He goes on. We'll go back to our. That's enough of our uh, introduction. We'll start with verse 15. Looking here, he says, "We are Jews by birth." He was including himself and Peter, Barnabas. There were other Jews there. He said, "Listen, we know what Jews are. We know how they believe." He meant we are native Jews not even proselytes. The Judaizers were trying to proselyte these Gentiles. They were trying to gather them in and make them to be Jews by proselytization. That's what they were promoting. He says, we're not even like, we are native, we were born Jews. What's what's the advantage of a Jew? Well, in Romans chapter 3, we see that very question was asked by Paul. It says, you were given the oracles, the Old Testament law. Now, in this law, we've talked about this before. We've just read Leviticus and all these chapters. All these oracles were given by protection for, for protection from God. And if you remember, just about, well, I guess every facet of these children of Israel's life was influenced by these laws. Why did God do it? Because he loved them, because he cared for them. That was his special people. They were to picture the church. Every facet of their life was touched, how to raise your children, how to raise your crops, what clothes to wear, what medicine to take, uh, how to treat your land, how to treat your slaves, what food to eat, and even laws for worship. He's saying, Peter, we have got a background of at the bare minimum morality in our religion. He said we're not like the Gentiles, and he wasn't saying the Gentiles were. It's what wasn't meant as a slur or an insult to the Gentiles. He's saying we've got a different background. He's saying they don't even ha- they don't have the advantages we do. He called them Gentile sinners. These words were interchangeable. If you if you said Gentile, if a Jew said Gentile, he meant sinner. That's that's, that's what they meant. They were uh, the words were interchangeable. No pagan religion, like I just pointed out from the uh, public reading, no pagan religion had what the Jews had. Think about any pagan religion that you can come up with off the top of your head. We think of uh, the awful god Molech with his arms out there. They heated him. They put babies in his arms to to melt away. That's what the pagans had. Asherah. They had these mounds of earth scattered all over the countryside and they had just a pole or an idol set up. Well, there's all kinds of immorality, prostitution, every kind of sins you can think of. Uh, Bestiality, mutilation, they would cut themselves. Remember the uh, story of the prophets of Baal? Baal was supposed to be the the god of rain and the, the prophets cut themselves There was all kinds of awfulness that went on in the pagan religion. Paul is saying, Peter, that's not us. Look what you're doing. You're trying to make these people act in a way that's contrary to what you've already said was was wrong. He's He's saying, Peter, you're jerking them around. He's saying, Peter, as Jews, you know yourself. We had to abandon our old ways, didn't we, Peter? We had to give up. Remember your vision, Peter? And God said, everybody's, don't, don't say what's clean that I've said is, don't say what's un, unclean, what I've already said is clean. Remember that, Peter? He's saying, we got saved the same way these young Gentile Christians got saved it's illogical, it's not reasonable, to pull the Gentiles into what you're doing. In verse 16, he continues, he says, we know, having been persuaded, this is our experience, having proved it to others and themselves, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He says, any person, a Jew, a gentile and a, when we say when i use gentile when the bible uses gentile it means anybody that's not a jew everybody else they're all gentiles he's saying everybody anybody is what he's saying who will come to jesus apart from works of the law has the same salvation experience that we do uh Let's look. Let's just turn to Psalm 143, 2, and read about this. This uh, clarifies the distinction, the comparison. <clears throat> Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Peter, you can't do this to these Gentiles. They've believed just like you believe, they received the, whole, the Holy Spirit just like you did. Let's look also at Psalm 53. Verses 1 through (coughs) 3. To the choir master, according to the Mahala, a master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none good. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one." He's making his point by saying, you're, Peter, we share this. We have a background of religion. The pagans don't have that. If they turn, if they turn in faith, don't, don't confuse them. Don't bring them back. Don't, you're, just, you're just causing problems. Peter, let's move on. He says, not justified. And we just went over what justified means. It means made right with God. God sees Christ's perfect sacrifice, his holy life. He never failed in any part of the law, whether it was a positive or a negative aspect of the law. He kept the law fully the whole time on earth, never broke the law, never sinned, never had a bad thought and he died as our sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifices picture that for all these Jews and Paul had come to realize that. Peter had come to realize that. He says if you're justified, if you have accepted, if you have repented and believed in Christ, Christ took all your sin, put it on the altar. God took all Christ's righteousness and put it on you. You now stand justified. Your debt is paid, not only the sin debt to make you flush and good and, not, and do away with everything, but to credit righteousness above and beyond that so that you can have a relationship with God. That's what justified means. He says you're not justified by works. And when we think of works, we think of good deeds. We think of helping the old lady across the street. We think of giving money to the poor. We think of uh, doing any kind of a, a, moral, a moral good deed. Paul is talking about that as well as following the old Mosaic law because it had to be followed perfectly and no person, not a single person had ever done that. Paul knew this firsthand because as a Pharisee, he had tried it. Remember Paul's history? Later... In Romans chapter 3, 28, Paul himself would write, We hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And he also knew from his schooling, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, as, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Also, he would have known Isaiah 54 17 no weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication another word for righteousness justification is from me says the Lord Paul had come to realize this all his Old Testament learning fell right in with what God done with him in his three years when he had a personal one-on-one with Jesus. He says, You're not saved by works of the law, keeping any Old Testament ceremonies or rites, but the contrast continues in verse 16, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Through faith. That means trusting in Jesus' work in our behalf. Just like I just described, everything uh, Jesus done from the time that God, they, they talked about it in heaven, and Jesus said, yes, I'll go. I'll go and redeem that people for you, Heavenly Father. He says, I volunteer to go. He lived that perfect life. He walked around down here, and we talked about this in the men's meeting too, about how, what it would be like. To have left perfect heaven that we can't even imagine, and come down here to a dry, rocky place. No place. He slept outside. People hated him. People tried to kill him. All that, all that work, he fulfilled in our behalf. He says, through faith in Jesus Christ is how you're saved. Later, Paul would write his letter to the Romans, where we read Romans chapter 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means trusting in in Jesus' work, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace. Peace and justification go together. When Adam fell, we all fell. Now we're enemies of God. But through Christ's work and through repentance, through the Holy Spirit and faith, we can be, that, that relationship is patched up. Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death in our place, his resurrection, and imparting his righteousness to our account, that was what Christ's work was. He was punished for us, and we got the reward of his righteousness. That is faith in Christ. He says we, we are in verse 16. It's a long verse. Uh, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. He says it three ways in the same verse in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Now, we need to be clear. We talk about faith. We talk about justification. We talk about faith saving us. Faith, our faith, the gift from God, does not justify us. But Jesus, the object of our faith, does. He is what justifies us when we trust him and stop trying to justify ourselves. That's been man's whole thing. When uh, Cain killed Abel, it was over the fact that uh, Cain had brought He tried tried to create his own righteousness. He tried to bring his own sacrifice. He wanted to go apart from what God said. That's that's a whole, that's just humanity. We've got this rift, this break between us and God, and we think we can fix it. We We want to do that in our pride. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Men are very proud. We're all very proud. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm talking about humans. I'm talking about women, too. We want to do it ourselves. We think we have something. Just like Cain. I'm going to give the offering my way. i want to give what I want. That's, it won't work. God does not accept that. God's ways are perfect, and you don't... <laughs> You don't improve on perfection by adding to it. That's what Paul was saying. We have no plans. We have no foundation or material with which to build our own righteousness. That's why God's justifying us is referred to as an alien righteousness. It's entirely out of human means or even human inspiration. Every thought every way that we come up, every plan we, that we come up with to try to uh, please God, it's based, it's based in our little, our little defiled, fallen minds. It, it cannot come to. It cannot... You can't get there from here. You can't get to God's righteousness with this, our fallen state. He says it's not by works of the law. Like I said, this verse says it three ways, and saying the same thing, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul had, in his past, devoted himself to manufacturing righteousness. Remember what he said, his, his reputation? He says, I was chopping ahead. I was, I was working. I was like a man with an axe going through the jungle. I was making my own way. He was manufacturing righteousness. He said, I, he said, everybody looked up to me. He said, I was head and shoulders in my class. Nobody was a better Pharisee than I was. But he repented. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, he called it all useless. He says, I counted all loss. He said, all that time wasted. Remember Nicodemus in John 3. He also was a Pharisee. He had spent his life as a studier of God's word. Jesus said, you're a ruler of the Jews and you're coming to ask me about eternal life? They, men mess up everything. And by this time, Judaism was corrupted, corrupted. It was awful. It was was just like we have today. It was politics and money and favoritism. It was who you are. In verse 17, he says, But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we are found sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. To say that another way, he says, We have, as Jews, we have submitted and followed Christ. So, if that's not right, and Christ taught us that, if Christ is teaching heresy then we're doing wrong and what does that make Christ? That makes Jesus a false teacher. That makes him the the wrong one for starting us on the wrong foot. He says, "Can that is that does that sound right to you, Peter?" And then he gives the the uh, answer, "Certainly not. May it never be." This is the opposite. When we say amen, we're saying, "Yes, I agree. Let it be." Paul was saying, "No. May it never be." Cast that thought far from you. Jesus has no sin. Certainly not. He is the the opposite of amen. To Paul, this was a repulsive. This is awful to think. Think about Paul having spent three years sitting, talking to Jesus, and getting all this one-on-one of the risen Jesus. Who who could stand that glory? Uh, Jesus apparently enabled him. He said... You don't know Jesus like I know him or you wouldn't even, you wouldn't bring that, you wouldn't bring that up. In verse 18, he continues. And here begins, and this is the way we see Paul in uh, pretty much all his epistles. Paul was a brilliant, brilliant man. I mean, uh, somebody may have referred to him as a lawyer, uh, as a Pharisee. He he knew how to make a contrast or a comparison to make you see well, if I'm thinking this way and this is the truth, then I'm, I've got to be wrong. He, he placed these arguments so perfectly. He says in verse 18, 4, if I rebuild what I tore down, now what had, he, what had been tore down? What are we talking about? We're talking about the old belief system, the old Judaism. He says old, old works system. He says, If I I go back to that, if I rebuild what I tore down, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. He says, as a Christian, I couldn't do that. That would make me a bad uh, advertisement for Jesus. He says, I cannot do that. Paul now places himself in the hypothetical situation that he talked about in verse 17. He's saying if works based Judaism still stands then I am sinning by trusting, trusting Jesus alone for salvation or justification. In Hebrews we read about the old covenant being replaced by the new one. This is how we know that had been torn down. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 it says in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. Paul is saying, if I go back to that, that don't make any sense, Peter. Why are you doing this? Remember this whole uh, little parenthetical account is placed in Galatians. It started off to to make a point that Paul was saying I'm an apostle. Remember that time that I had to confront Peter, the top dog, the head knocker? He said, if I'm not an apostle, Peter would not have submitted to me. It segues perfectly into this and he's able to to start talking about justification. He's able to talk about law. In verse 19, he goes on. Four. Through the law, I died to the law. Now, I said I'm not good at flowery speech. Um, I'm going to put this succinctly, I think. Uh, Through the Holy Spirit, Paul had come to realize that he never really kept God's laws. Mm. Also, he learned that with the exception of Jesus, nobody had ever lived without sinning in some way, thereby breaking that law. Breaking one law. Any law. Carried one penalty. One law. One penalty. Death. No exceptions. In Ezekiel we read. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20. The soul that sins shall die. In Romans 6.23. What does it say? The wages of sin is death. But Christ. Christ in his justification work had died the death that Paul was sentenced to. So in Adam, Paul was destined to sin. He couldn't help it. It was his nature. He could not help but sin. He was a slave to sin. But in Jesus, his penalty had been paid completely apart from his efforts. He said, I died to the law. Other places we read about being baptized into Christ. Christ. Baptized into Christ, died to the law. God. He says, so that I might live to God. Just as he had died with Christ, Paul had been raised with Christ. Jesus died the death Paul was supposed to and supplied the necessary life for him in resurrection. God. The fact that God requires one death One sin sounds kind of harsh. It sounds, that sounds severe to us. But that goes away when you consider that this harshness uh, is forgotten. When we remember that one death has been paid, God will not require more than exactly one payment. That's the good news. I think that's probably how we got our. Concept of uh, double jeopardy in our, in our judicial system. We can't, be, we can't be tried, can't be convicted again for the same thing we've been tried for and found innocent. He said, God won't demand payment again. Jesus paid that payment. In, cha- in chapter 10 of Hebrews, let's turn there. Let's read a little bit of uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse 10. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One one sin carries death, but that one death has been paid. In 1 Peter chapter 3 we also read, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, his body actually died but made alive in the Spirit." This is, this, when I saw this, it just blew me away. It, it's mind-boggling. We see mind-boggling extravagance. God's perfect, His single, only Son, perfect in every way, never sin, offering Himself for ugly, awful man. All that extravagance and omniscient precision for each sin, each person. Extravagance and precision meet for our salvation and God's glory. What a God we serve. That really really blew me away. Well, if verse 19 spreads the table, now verse 20 says, Come and dine. Let's look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. But but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In repentance and faith, Paul became identified with Jesus. Remember the federal head? Adam, we fell. The federal head? Jesus. By faith... Jesus became Paul's federal head. In mercy and love, Christ identified with Paul as his sin substitute. Bodily, remember, Jesus rose up in that cloud. He left the earth and went back to heaven to intercede for us. But in his great love, he left the Holy Spirit to indwell us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read, follow the pattern of of the sound words that you heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The Spirit now lives in us. Paul says, it's not me anymore. I laid myself aside, and Jesus came right in. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In Paul's epistles, What does he refer to himself as? Usually a slave or a servant of Christ. What Christ bought with his blood, Paul now gladly surrenders to his master. Here in Galatians, he states what he would also write to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, we read, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Paul says, I no longer live my life. i have surrender to the Holy Spirit. He lives through me. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. By the law's conviction, Paul had died. The law can only do that. The law does not bring life. The law brings death. By the Spirit's power, now he lives only to glorify God. Paul would also write later in Romans. I've told you before, I think Galatians is Romans concentrate. That's why I'm reading so much Romans. He says about Jesus, For the death he died, talking about Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what he was telling Peter that day in verse 21 he says now what if I, what if I re- reject all this? What if I go back? What if I decide I don't want to be? What if I decide I want to do my own righteousness? That would be nullifying the grace of God, wouldn't it? That's what he calls it in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is confronting Peter like we said before Peter stood condemned. There's no way out of it. He knew it. Peter knew it. Everybody standing around knew it. This is his apparent mistake. If a person repents and believes in Jesus, then Jesus has redeemed and justified that person before God. The work is done. The price is paid. To try and pay for it again is an insult. To Jesus, saving sacrifice. If you give somebody a gift, you save up, or you work for them a gift because you love them, and they pull out their billfold or their pocketbook and say, Oh, let me pay you for that. That's insulting. That's just a small idea of what Paul or we would be doing to Jesus if he said, I want to work, I want to, I want to add to what you've done, Jesus. You you almost saved me. You almost paid for it. Good job, Jesus. Here, I'll let me I'll take it from here. Mm. Awful, awful. The price paid by Jesus is infinitely more valuable than any work we could do. And no law we might momentarily keep can add to his sinful, his sinless life. Amen. Bringing a human offering and laying it on top of God's altar only defiles the altar. This is stated in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Remember the m- magnets I mentioned earlier? Grace and works are mutually exclusive. And later we'll, we'll go over that. If everything goes right, we'll see that, uh, that comparison made. He says, really? You want to do it by works? Go ahead try it. It's not going to work. And grace will always work. So, in conclusion, application. No Jew. Paul and Peter and Barnabas came from a Jewish background. This was religion from from the time of Abraham. This was religion. That's what it was. That's all they had. But, no Jew, even Moses, the most humble man who ever lived, or Job, who is described as upright, he might not have been a Jew, had ever kept God's law. Mary, remember how she is described, highly favored? She didn't. She was sinful. She didn't fully follow God's law. A lot of Old Testament characters that we read about, the prophets, they probably had some good days, but no perfect lives. Law-keeping could not save them or us. Firstly, because we're incapable of even the desire to obey God. And secondly, man's sin problem lies way down deep. It's inside of us. It's in our hearts. It's in our soul. Fallen men sin from their sinful hearts. Outward ceremonies and obedience cannot bring him before a holy God. We've had a lot of ailments in our congregation. We've got so many kids. A lot of colds. I think of the common cold. What do they say about the common cold? There's no cure for the common cold. Some ailments cannot be cured, but we still take medicine, don't we, to relieve the symptoms. Sin, however, requires a cure. And Jesus is that cure. Paul, in Galatians, and in this little insert, pointed at Peter. He's making a transition here. He had established the fact that he was an authentic, authoritative apostle. He had given the authentic, correct gospel and he's pointing out with this incident here, he's saying, it's a perfect comparison. He's saying, Peter was trying to go on his own righteousness. He was trying to turn around. He, he rejected God's work in his life for that one, that one minute there, that day when they were eating. They, he left the Gentile table. He turned around and it made, he made it look like, I'm, I'm going back. Paul is saying, and we're going to, it just gets better from this point on in Galatians. saying, Jesus is righteous. We're not. We've got nothing, nothing to bring to God. You think you've got something good? Turn it over. It's dirty. It's awful. It's, it's defiled. Whatever we touch, we defile, and we can't help it. Jesus, however, in his perfection, saves us through his righteousness.